You're listening to a podcast brought to you by international law firm Trowers and Hamlins, combining market sector thought leadership, advice, and ideas, helping businesses add value and prepare for the future. Hello, and welcome to another in our series of Positive Influencers. Um, today, I'm delighted to welcome Leon Tweeton, um, who is the founder and MD of Ing Media and also just be made, I understand, the chair of the London Society. So an exciting time. Welcome, Jan. Thanks, Sarah. Uh, thanks for, for inviting me to be involved in this, uh, in this podcast. Not at all. I mean, we've had some really different uh, uh, viewpoints and really in interesting people so far in, in this series. And actually, one of the great things we've I found is the different viewpoints that I've come across about how passionate people are about, about this area. You are the founder and managing director of Ing Media. Can I just say that as, as a woman, I think that what you've achieved in, in that world is quite phenomenal. And Ing Media very much focused on the real estate sector, which, as we know, has had its challenges in diversity. But how do you think your organisation has sort of brought about a positive change or tries to bring about positive change? Well, it, it's really interesting because when we sort of first started out, actually, um, most of our focus was working with architects and sort of the designers of buildings. And uh, they were uh, hugely creative and in terms of what they do. But what we realized quite quickly is that for them to get more work, we had to be better networked and understand the whole of the real estate sector. And so over the last 20 years, that's what we've tried to do is really bring, um, and I always talk about this idea of tribes, of our sort of built environment sector and how they all work. So when you walk into a room and a project meeting, there'll be people from the construction team who have a certain way of talking. There'll be lawyers uh, like yourselves who have concerns about different areas. You know, the architects and designers, the property people, the uh, the sort of owners, the communities, um, policymakers, all of these people sort of sit under, under one uh, roof, but they all talk differently. And I think Ing's role is actually being almost a translator and trying to bring all of those different tribes under one roof so that uh, they can be more effective. I guess that's what we're trying, trying to achieve. And have you found throughout, throughout the, the period, obviously the, the 20 years that you've been doing this, that there has been a much more of, of an understanding of diversity within the industry and, and actually trying to make sure that we are creating a much more diverse sector? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's extraordinary, actually, because if you if you take my life from before sort of running in and just in business generally, I mean, I always say to people, I started working, uh, my first job was in 1985. And I can remember the Australia, it was around about that time, a bit later, but the Australian government brought in the affirmative action uh, legislation, which was all about diversity, uh, mainly about women then. And it went very, very slowly very, very slowly. I mean, it was extraordinary that people were just, you know, it was something you put on the shelf and, and you dealt with, but really there wasn't a lot of uh, progress made. And I think uh, for me, the last five years in terms of the real estate and the built environment sector really waking up to what we need to do has been phenomenal. I mean, I've never seen anything like it, to be frank. It's just like it's gone from so, so, you know, tortoise-like yeah. to suddenly now everybody is trying to deal with it. That is wonderful from one side of the coin. It, it produces a lot of challenges as well, because suddenly you're trying to find experienced people 
of diverse backgrounds with experience. And of course, you know, it takes time. It takes time to get good at what you do. And uh, that, you know, we don't have a lot of people in senior positions who are able to do that. But but definitely there's a, there's a massive wake-up call. And, you know, I know there's a lot of uh, commentary about whitewashing and greenwashing and all of this sort of stuff. But actually, I the people I talk to are genuine about trying to fix it. They, they're not always uh, sure of how to do it but they, they are genuine about how how to fix problems yeah and I think I think that's the key isn't it because if, if it was easy to fix then actually everyone would have done it by now yeah. um anyway, we've got to accept that these things are are going to be challenges and sometimes we'll fail and achieve what we want to but as long as we learn from it and try again it, that, that, that's the important thing I mean, looking at you yourself, um, like I say, you've just been made chair of the London Society and I know you're on boards of other charities uh, in your life. What do you feel you do to make a positive influence or what's your passion in terms of looking at making a positive influence? Yeah, well, I, I, when, I, when I got your questions earlier, I was really thinking about this. And, you know, I guess my first role in terms of pro bono role that I, I took on was as chair, a chair of governors or a governor at a school in Hackney. And I was really rubbish to start with. You know, I was incredibly passionate and I had a son at the school and I could see everything was wrong. And I was just, you know, sort of that combustible mix of anger and energy, but misdirected. So I think I've learned a lot through that in terms of how to bring on other people on board with, with the issues, how to identify issues. I think I'm, you know, have learned how to go into an organization and sort of hone in on what needs to be changed in terms of prioritizing, because you can't do everything at once. Um, and I think that's a, that was a mistake that I was making. I wanted to fix everything and you can't do that. It's also about being committed to the cause for a longer period of time and realizing when you can or you can't sort of make an effective change, you know, deciding whether that's where you should spend your time and effort. Um, and I, I'm a great believer that I, if I want to do something, I want to do it well. So if I feel like I, I can't affect change, well, I'll, I'll move on to the next thing. Not, not, because, not in, a, in a sort of prima donna kind of way, but just because you've got to have the team on board to make a difference. What's been interesting on this series is we've spoken to people from all different backgrounds, um, all different ages, and we've got more coming up from, from very different um, groups in society. But many have them of similar qualities and similar attributes. What would you think are the qualities and attributes that, that you need in order to actually be able to implement change? Okay, so I think there's two issues on this, you know, and I think change makers come in two forms. There's the what I would call the agitators, and they're very, very important for us because they're the people who really, you know, you look at someone like Greta, you know, really brings an issue to the fore. And then there are the people who are the implementers. And I would put myself on more of the implementer side. I'm not really good as a great activist. I'm probably too center, middle of the road, but I'm, you need reasonable people to then be able to get in the room to help bring change about you know it's uh, again that activism when you're actually trying to implement power is not necessarily the right skill set so I think being a bit calmer and a bit more logical and being able to see a broad range of views is probably something that I can bring to the table all right and I certainly think is important if you want to, to bring forward change yeah, so you, so you need you need the passion to actually get that 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 topic on the agenda and people begin to start listening to it. But you also need that sort of slight calmness to actually be able to get organisations to buy into it and actually start 
creating that change in a sense. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, uh, sort of a, a good example is Dominic Cummings. He, uh, I've, I've been really interested in his sort of journey, really, because to me, he's a classic case of someone who is obviously is identified where there's a lot of problems within government, but without the skill set to, to change, you know, he was too angry, didn't like the system, didn't appreciate the people around him. And he's out of the system. So you have to be prepared to be at the table and be patient uh, and push forward as well. Yeah. So I suppose, actually, in a sense, you've articulated it, but what would be the best bit of advice that you would give to someone coming up throughout throughout their career or, or with a particular passion or drive in a particular area for change? What would be the bit of advice you'd give them? Um, well, I, I'm not sure I can give one piece of advice. I think you've, if you've got passion, generally passion is uh, driven by a bit of anger, I think. And so I would be very wary of losing that anger. I think when you lose the sort of, you know, that absolute knot in your stomach to get something moved forward, that's a dangerous place because then you become quite benign. So find a way of keeping that together, but also control it a bit. And do everything you can to get into the room with the people of, uh, who are making the decisions. That would be my, my biggest advice. Because if you're not in that room w- with those people, you're not going to be able to affect change. And I think also we have a, you know, a, a wonderful sort of governmental system, which is actually open to the average citizen. Unfortunately, most people don't know how it works. But there are lots of ways that you can affect change and you can start at grassroots level. You know, I learned so much by being a school governor about how that whole process works. And I developed links with people at the Hackney Council and went from there. And that that was really informative to me. So learn, stay angry and uh, but be calm. Yeah, I suppose turning that on its head, what was the best bit of advice you've ever been given? I think probably to calm down a bit. <laughs> uh, it, this is, it, it's complex. I mean, the, the, the first bit of advice I was given was to go and set up my own business. And that was given to me when I was about 18. Someone said, you know, you've got the potential to do this. So I felt, uh, you know, it didn't happen for another 12 years or, the, or 15 years or so. But um, that was really important. Also, I think if something doesn't feel right, it's not right. You know, just go with your gut instinct when you're talking about ethics and values and those sorts of things. Um, so, so trust your instincts. And there is no easy solution, unfortunately. It's interesting because uh, I think the advice I was once given was don't, a bit like you just said, uh, keep the passion, but, uh, but tone it down. Yeah. That's effectively one of the bits of advice I've, I've taken. And I can't quite lose my passion, so I have to turn it down. Just going to say, actually, there was a great quote from uh, Martina Navratilova. I heard her have an interview once, and uh, she talked about just every play every shot. Don't think about the end game. Don't put your head there. Just think everything is step by step, and that's how you have to look at it day by day, and that's how you affect change. So I'm going to slightly off piece with the questions here, but just because I'm quite fascinated by this. Would you say that you've been in a a position where you've always felt empowered to be able to go and do what what you wanted to do and didn't feel held back or that there was a a, a sort of a glass ceiling there that you couldn't break through? Oh, my goodness, no. Um, And in fact, the complete opposite. My first job, well, first of all, my, my parents were what I would call 
completely normal people in Australia. My dad was a country policeman. My mum was a nurse and then sort of ran shops. Um, I mean, we had no network. I was completely naive about how society works and sort of the networking and top level and all of that sort of stuff. Um, I mean, I was so unbelievably naive when I first went into the world of work and I didn't go to university And uh, I started working at uh, Macquarie Bank in 1985. And it was the first time that I saw uh, how, you know, I guess the the stratas of society work. And um, that was a real shock to me because I just thought, you know, uh, like my parents were, you just be a good person and you'll get success. That's what I thought happened. So that was a real shock. And, you know, I I think I I still struggle sometimes. You know, I get, if I go into a room of, you know, sort of university students, I get nervous because I think they're smarter than me. All sorts of people. I was thinking, I went to a launch of a museum in Lisbon a couple of years ago. I felt so out of my depth. I mean, I felt really, people were talking about holidays in Stad and, you know, the Bahamas and everything else. And I thought, my God, this is just not my tribe at all. But I feel very proud that, you know, you just keep going. And uh, I'm in a, a position now where people listen to what I've got to say, which I certainly didn't feel that for much, much of my career. That's for sure. I think it's quite powerful that people... Uh, maybe younger or earlier in their careers realize that people maybe our stage in our careers we still get nervous we still get worried we still um, we did a very large tender last week for a, a client for a prospective new client and they the team was from varying levels and one of them said I can't believe you're nervous and I said I'm absolutely terrified so it never goes away but you learn from it and actually you've, you've been some way I, I certainly sort of get my energy from it in a way and um, yes. it helps keep you on your toes so in terms of, it, it, this might be a, a tricky question in one sense, but there are many challenges throughout life that, that have defined us and, and, and maybe events that have occurred that have, have, have made us who we are. But if there was a key event that you would say maybe changed your outlook, what, what would you say that would be? Yeah, I think teachers for me were really important. My dad was always transferred to these small country towns in Australia. And the Australian system has a really good good way of of putting very good teachers out into these small country schools, uh, you know, for a couple of years, and then they get a a more cushy job on the coast or somewhere. And uh, so I uh, had access to some amazing teachers who really gave me confidence and opened up my eyes to to the rest of the world. And I think then also, obviously, moving to London was just transformational for me. And I had numerous people through my career who've given me support and help. And uh, so I think it's people rather than one absolute moment. Um, And, you know, just learning all the time. And a famous joke someone has made, you know, the the first moment you have that shock of, my God, I'm in the room. And then you look around and you go, my God, why are you in the room? <laughs> and you you realise that actually there's a lot of people who are just normal like us and are just trying to do their best. So uh, it's not all as polished as people think it is. Yeah, absolutely. Lastly, we're sort of asking everybody in this series is the same question, which is, if there was one thing you'd like to positively influence over the next year or the next five years, what would it be? Oh, that's easy. I think the quality of mass house building. I think the uh, what is happening 
in terms of the not so much central London. I mean, I think the the value of land prices, generally the quality is reasonably good. And I know some people will disagree with that because of Grenfell and everything else. But we are still building houses, you know, right across the country that don't look good. The quality isn't good enough where uh, people who are buying these homes are really saddled with loads and loads of problems. And I think that's a real scandal for our industry. And I'd love to have some influence on that area because, you know, that's the sort of area I came from. My parents bought a sort of project home in Australia, you know, when I was 16. And, um, you know, it was junk. And my dad spent the rest of his time there trying to fix it up. So the idea that that still happens is is not good enough. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Leanne. I really appreciate um, your time today. And it's been a really interesting conversation. Thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Trowers and Hamlins. Find us at trowers.com and join in the conversation on Twitter at Trowers or find us on LinkedIn and Instagram.